You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. We're continuing our series this week two of Chained, where we're looking at these things that have the propensity and capability of holding us hostage and keeping us from being all that God has called us to be. Last week we looked at bitterness, and if you missed that, I'd encourage you to go back and check it out. I think uh, it'll speak, especially if you're struggling with being bitter toward a person or a group of people. Uh, The feedback's been really, really positive about that, so check that out. Uh, Next week we're going to look at addictions, things that we get addicted to that keep us from being what God designed us to be, what he's called us to be. And so I hope you'll be here next week. Today you probably noticed by looking at the handout you got when you came in, we're going to look at worry. You and I both know that we're not supposed to worry. You know that, right? I mean, we were probably told that when we were little ones, and we've been told it all along. But sometimes, I don't know if this is true for you, but I know it's true for me, it's hard not to worry. It's just hard. Worry comes from the old German, an old German word that means to choke or to strangle. <laughs> kind of fitting, isn't it? That's the worry does to us sometimes. It strangles the life out of us. And yet, We still have that urge to worry. There's always something to worry about too, isn't it? I mean, we think about the economy. Right now it's kind of roaring along, but how long is this going to last, right? I can just worry about how, when it's going to start to go recede and things are going to get hard again. Besides, I got these kids and they're getting ready to go to college. Who knows? Before we know it, they're going to be at college. And then my parents, they're, they're getting older. My wife's parents, they're getting older and we've got all those responses. How are we going to afford that? And all of a sudden, we start to worry about it. Or your kids, you think, how can I protect them? I mean, really, truthfully, I don't, there's so much out there in this world, and and I can't be around them all the time. You know, some of you are helicopter parents, some of you are what they call lawnmower parents. Now there's the new group, snowblower parents, or snowplow parents, that's what they're called. They plow everything out of the way, right? But you can't be there for them all the time. And we all know kids that have been exposed to porn, or drugs, or sex. It's just scary out there. And so we worry. Or maybe you have a loved one who has gone to the doctor recently and had to have some tests because something didn't look right or wasn't right, and what happens? The doctor comes back and says, we'll have the test back in two or three days, we'll call you. And so you have to wait. And when you wait, you worry. And you play that what-if game. What if? And then your mind races, and you start thinking about all the worst-case scenarios, and it keeps you awake all night. You can barely breathe, all because of worry. Worry's been a significant issue in my life. Of all the topics we're going to discuss in this series, this is the one that has the crosshairs on me. And the chances are pretty good, I would guess, that many of you in this room also know this pretty well. You've been held hostage by worry at some point in your life. And maybe for some, it's right now. It's right now. Eric Herline expected to see three stray cats when he went to visit his grandmother because she had told him that she had taken in these three stray cats. And she had told him they don't live in the house. They live on the, on the front porch, which is enclosed. And she's taking care of them and she loves them. And when he got there to visit, he noticed that there was something strange when he looked at the cats. In fact, one cat seemed rather strangely peculiar. And after closer examination, he realized that it wasn't a cat at all. 
It was a possum. <laughs> I promise you the true story. This entire time, Eric's grandmother had unknowingly been taking care of what she thought was three cats, but it was actually two cats and a possum. Now, you know, when we think about our pets, we think about them kind of as part of our family, don't we? I mean, they're our friends, right? We love them. But if you have a wild possum, and any kind of possum is wild, it is not a pet, you know? It's kind of that way with worry. A lot of us have this idea that we're taking in this, this, uh, this kind of characteristic or quality, and it's good, and we embrace it and everything, but the truth of the matter is it's not good. It's not good at all. We see worry as kind of a friend, but the truth is it's the exact opposite of that. Oh, we don't say that worry is our friend, but that's how we act. That's how we live. We hold on to worry like we might hold on to a wild possum. Some of you are Christians. You've got it kind of figured out. You know that worry is not a a good thing. It's kind of toxic. And so you you don't use that word. But you've got code words like concern. You know, I've got a concern about something, right? And so we're concerned, and it's just code for Christians who are worried. Let's be honest. And then there are some of us, and I've been here, we're chronic worriers. Anybody testify, don't raise your hand, but think in your mind, yes, that's me. We worry about things even when there isn't anything to worry about because we're afraid that we might not be worried up enough, right? There's just something out there that I'm missing. We worry a lot. We worry a lot. And what we've got to realize is that we will never be set free from the chains of worry until we recognize that worry is not our friend. In fact, it's actually one of our worst enemies. It's one of the tools that Satan uses to to try to destroy our faith. He wants to teach us to worry. He wants to convince us We need to worry. So let's take a look at what the Bible has to say about worry. Now, we're not going to camp in one specific text this morning. We're going to be bouncing around to a number of hot spots with regard to this topic. So if you have a, a if you wrestle in your life at any given time over worry, I would encourage you to write these verses down and over the course of the next few days, reflect on them because there's some powerful stuff here. The first verse we're going to look at is Romans 14. Verse 23, the last part of the verse says, everything that does not come from faith is sin. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. In many ways, worry is the opposite of faith. If anything, it is not faith in God. It's actually faith in what the enemy is doing. It's saying, I believe the worst case scenario is what's going to happen instead of the best thing that God might have for you. It, it's, it's faith in the bad things rather than faith in God. Now, the definition for worry, for those of us that are Christians, it's, it's, a, broad, it's a broad, it would cover all people, but specifically for those of us who are Christians, worry is probably best defined as The sin of distrusting the promises and the power of God. It's a sin. And you've probably heard that before, but it's important to acknowledge it. It's a sin of distrusting the promises and the power of God. And you need to recognize that worry doesn't come from God. It never does. Here's what the Bible says about this. 2 Timothy 1.7 For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, 
but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The spirit of fear doesn't come from God. It's from the evil one, and many of us are controlled by that spirit of fear. What did Jesus say about the subject of worry? He said lots. Matthew records in Matthew 6, 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Jesus said, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about, and he uses the word suke. That suke in the Greek is translated life. And what suke actually refers to is your whole life. It means your mental life, your physical life, your emotional life, your spiritual life. It means the life you lived yesterday, the life that you are living today, and the life that you will live in the future. Jesus said, don't worry about your suke. In other words, don't worry about anything. Because this word he chooses encompasses everything. And he goes on to explain, your heavenly Father who loves you deeply, he's got your back. God has got you covered. And yet so many of us, even those of us who are Christ followers, what do we do? We stay awake at night playing the what-if game, going over all these different scenarios, agonizing in fear and stress of what could happen or what might happen. Our stomach gets in knots. We develop ulcers and headaches. Our neck and our back, they tighten up. Our blood pressure goes up. We're stressed. We can't sleep. We're tired all the time as a result. And we end up taking it out on all those people around us because we're a hostage to the sin of worry. And I know this all too well in my own life. I've had times in my life when I have to be honest with you, I was a chronic worrier. But God's helped me to overcome it in a number of different ways. And I haven't arrived. I still, I still have this temptation to worry at times. But I'm growing. I'm growing. And what I want to do this morning is I want to share with you three truths that equip us to break the chains of worry. I want to, I want to, I want to break that hold, that, that stranglehold that worry has on you. And I want to give you some advice, some helps to do that. The first truth is this. I will do what God's Word tells me to do. Let's start there. There is a problem with some who are in Christ. Not, not the majority, but there are, there are a percentage, uh, a significant percentage of people that tend to over-spiritualize every situation. They think that God is just going to take care of everything. There's no responsibility they have. God will take care of it. God will take care of it. God will take care of it. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. This is the guy that doesn't have a job, right? He's unemployed. And you ask him, um, are you looking for a job? And he says, nope. Nope, not. Well, do you have a resume? And he says, no, <laughs> I don't. Okay, are you networking at all? Are you connecting? You know, what area? I, nope, not doing any of that. Well, exactly, what is your plan to get a job? I'm waiting for God to have someone call me with the perfect job. Well, that's dumb, right? You ought to at least, go out. You ought to at least let people know you're looking, right? No, 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 I'm just trusting God. Or maybe it has to do with marriage. You know, you, you meet some person and you say, hey, you, you want to get married? Yep, I do. They say, great, are you dating? No. Have you talked to anyone of the opposite sex ever in your life? No. Well, what is your plan? How are you going to find that perfect person? I'm just waiting 
on God to bring them to my front door. You're going to end up marrying the UPS guy. That's what's going to happen. You know this, and I know this. There are certain things that God wants us to do. He calls us to do. He says, you need to do this. James said it crystal clear in James 1.22. Look what he says. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. If God says do this, do that. Now, what is God going to ask you to do? Well, I don't know specifically for you and everyone in here, the calling is going to be specific to you. But there are two things that he says generally for every believer that we should do with regard to this issue. And the first of these is think on the right things. Think on the right things. Okay, 2 Corinthians 10.5, last part of the verse says this. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So whenever our mind starts to wander down the what-if pathway, you know, what if this happens or what if that happens, we recognize, hey, I'm starting to worry here. And so we, we see this, that this thought is not based in my faith in God. It's based in fear. And that's not coming from God. So we take this runaway thought captive and we make it obedient to Christ. In Philippians, the fourth chapter, verse 8, the Apostle Paul says this to the Philippian church. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So whenever your mind starts to worry because you've got this huge project at work or school and you think, I am just going to bomb on that, wait a minute. Ask yourself, does God say anything about that? What about Philippians 4.13? He says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So you don't have to bomb. You can put your faith in God to help move you through this. So take that thought captive, the one that says you're going to bomb, and make it obedient to Christ. Maybe you have this reoccurring thought. Your life is always going to be miserable. And you hear this voice in your head that reminds you again and again that you're just a loser compared to everyone else. And you ask yourself, is that something that God would say to me? Is that consistent with his word? What does the Bible say? Well, Romans 8.28 reminds us, and we know that in all things, all things, God works together for the good of those. God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. So take that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. We need to retrain our minds not to run down the path of worry. Not to entertain all of these what-ifs in the middle of the night. Honestly, that's what many of us have trained our minds to do. Something happens and we're always thinking, worst case scenario, worst case scenario, right? We should do what God asks us to do. Put our faith in Him. Trust Him. So, you got to be patient if you want to retrain your mind. It's going to take maybe a little bit of time. You have to work consciously to grab these runaway, disobedient thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. But one day, as you immerse yourself in the truth of God's Word over and over again, and I would encourage you, every single day, find a time where you can meet with God and hear from Him through His Word and spend time talking to him. And as you do that over and over again, he will renew your mind. 
He'll renew your mind through the use of his word. And then all of a sudden, you'll start to have faith thoughts instead of these worrisome fear thoughts. Instead of responding in fear or worry, you respond with faith by the power of the Holy Spirit. God has retrained your mind to think according to the Bible instead of according to the fear that you feel. We're going to do what God's Word tells us to do. And one way we can do this is by thinking on the right things. There's a second thing we can do, and that is do what is wise. Do what is wise. Scripture teaches us over and over again to do what is wise. Remember the guy who was looking for a job? Don't just say, hey, I need a job. Wouldn't it be wise to put a resume together? Maybe network with some people who are in a field where you'd like to get a job or hire a headhunter or at least talk to one who, can, who specializes in that area. That would be wise, right? If you wanted to get married and you haven't had a date in a long time, maybe you should go and be around some people who are your age and they're members of the opposite sex and they're not married. It, that's kind of important. And that would probably be wise. And while you're there, maybe smile and be nice to them. Take a shower before you go. Use some deodorant. Run a comb through your hair. Do something, right? Do something. That sounds wise. That would be wise. So, doing what the Bible tells you to do, and when it comes to practically doing that, think on the right things, and then do what is wise. Do what is wise. Well, there's a second truth that helps us to break the stranglehold of worry that uh, it has on us. And that is, I will give to God what I can't do. I will give to God what I can't do. I'm going to do what God's word tells me to do, and then I'm going to give to God what I can't do. In Philippians, the fourth chapter, verses six and seven, probably the anchor passage of this entire message, says, do not be anxious, or you could translate that word worried, about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says, do not be anxious or worried about anything. Let me ask you a question. Do you think what you, that word anything, would include the thing you worried about last night? Absolutely. Absolutely. It includes everything. Yet scripture says, don't be anxious, don't be worried about that thing you worried about last night. That's what Paul is saying. He goes on, he says, and present your requests to God. That means, God, this is what I'm worried about. I'm going to give it to you right now. Okay, God? It's yours. And then he says, as a result of that, then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. That's an interesting phrase. It means beyond our comprehension. You can't explain this peace, he says. It transcends all understanding. And he says that peace, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And isn't it interesting that that's where most of the worry gets wedged in, in my heart and in my mind. We're going to do what God's Word tells us to do. And we're going to give what we can't do to God. Now, what typically happens, though, when we get to this point, we say, okay, I'm going to do that. But we're not patient enough. If you think about it, many of us struggle with this. And this is how it kind of goes. God, this is bothering me. And in, the, in the spirit of 
before him in prayer, I say, God, this is bothering me, and so I just want to give it to you. Please take it. I trust it with you. There, it's yours. I've put it on the altar. And God, you're just taking way too long to fix it. I mean, I thought, you know, I prayed earlier today, and you, it's still there. Um, okay, I'll give, you, I'll give you a little more. God, it's been a week. God, please. Okay, I, I, you know what, God? I know you're busy. I, I, I'll just take it back, and I'll handle this one, right? And what happens? It's in that kind of moment that worry is born. We don't really trust God with it. I mean, we want to. We try to. We know that's the right thing. Why don't we trust him? I think it's, it's probably simpler than you realize. We're too big in our mind's eye, and our perspective of God is too small. That's why we worry, because we think we can do far more than we actually can. And God is too small, and we don't give him as much credit or as much latitude to do the things that he can do. But when we get a right view of God, it changes everything. We're going to do what we can do. And when we're going to trust God with those things that we can't do. Think about it this way. Can you heal another person of cancer? Now, I'm not saying, can you pray for them and they get healed? I'm saying, can you heal another person of cancer? Okay, thank you. This is the audience participation portion of our program, okay? I need more than just one person, okay? Is he the spokesman for the group? Okay, great, okay. (laughs) Some of you said, yes, we'll go with that. Okay, good. Okay, can you heal a person with cancer? No, right. But can God do that? Yeah, he can. So... Why don't we give it to God? Now, what can we do? We've got a part to play. Maybe, maybe that person is a friend or a loved one. We can take them to their doctor's appointments. We can care for them as they're going through treatment. We can see that they get the best treatment, the best advice, and all that. But can we heal them? No. But can God? Yes. Let me give you another example. Can you protect your kids? I mean, ultimately, from everything. Some of you think you can, but the reality is this. No, you can't. But can God give his angels charge over your kids? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me ask you this one. Can you change your spouse? (laughs) Some of you hesitate. Not this man right here. Smart man. Smart man. The truth is, this is, uh, by the way, this is a no elbowing zone, okay? You need to listen to this. He is speaking the truth, right? Can you change your spouse? No, you can't. Can God change them? Absolutely. And guess what? He can change you too. God can change you too. Can God do that? Yes. Here's the question. Can your worry change anything at all? No, it really can't. Can God change anything at all? He can change anything he chooses to change. Luke said this in Luke 18, 27. I love this passage. Luke records, Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Never forget that. So what we're going to do to break the chokehold of worry is we're going to do what God's word tells us to do, and then we're going to give everything that we can't do to God. We'll do what we can, but we'll give the rest of it to him. The third truth that helps us to break the stranglehold of worry that worry has on us is I will trust God no matter what happens. I'll trust God 
no matter what happens. No matter if God does what I want him to do, no matter if he does something else, no matter what happens, I'm going to trust God. Jesus said this in Matthew, the sixth chapter, verses 33 and 34. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Why? Because tomorrow already has enough to worry about for itself. Don't worry about tomorrow. When you trust God, you realize he's already there in tomorrow. He's already in that realm of tomorrow. We're not there, but he's there. He's actually back here in the past, and he's also here in the present. You see, time is not an issue for him. He's not bound by it. He's already there. No matter what happens, I will trust him. I told you that I have been, at times, a chronic worrier, And I wanted to explain all of this from the context of my life because I think it's more, it means more to me and it may connect better with you. In September of 2013, we made some significant changes to more effectively reach millennials. And the reason we did this was we put so much attention on reaching this next generation was we learned that only 15% of millennials were actually Christ followers, that they'd actually come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. We also found that the 40509, which is where we're located, that zip code, was the second youngest in the entire city of Lexington, which meant we were surrounded by millennials. They're everywhere, which is a great thing. So I asked Northeast to join me in reaching this next generation for Christ. And many of you joined that effort, and some of you are fully invested still today. And from my heart, I just want you to know, I am extremely grateful for that. But some decided that this new season wasn't going to be for them, and they decided to go and worship somewhere else. And over the course of the next 10 months, I watched as the attendance declined. From September of 2013, when I cast that vision of reaching out to millennials, up until July of 2014, That was just 10 months. Our attendance dropped almost 250 people every week. And I got to be honest with you, I thought we, I broke the church. I thought, God, I thought I heard your voice. I thought this was what you wanted us to do. And in addition to all that, our offerings declined such that the bank started to pressure us. And I found myself lying awake every single night worried about the future of Northeast. Could we turn this around? God, what are you doing? What do I need to preach? How could we make payroll? How are we going to pay our bills? And this debt, God, what do we do with the bank? Needless to say, I was not getting much sleep at all. I was living like a zombie. During that July 14th elders meeting, we were discussing how best to address our situation And i got to tell you this about our elders around here. They are some men of great faith. They have expanded my growth in this area, and I'm so grateful for them. That night, Gary Simpson, one of the elders, shared how he realized and he knew that God had this whole thing under control. And he said, I don't lose a wink of sleep. (laughs) And I looked at him and said, are you kidding me? I don't sleep ever. I miss sleep every single night. And he looked at me with tenderness in his eyes and he said, why? This is God's church. And I'm like, yeah, I knew that. 
This was God's church, and he said he's going to provide for all of its needs, whether we're a church here at 990 Starshoot or somewhere else. So I decided to trust God to provide regardless of what happens. And guess what? That's exactly what he started to do. After that meeting, I saw the attendance the very next month start to increase. As Northeaster started inviting, people started saying yes to their invitations. And worship started to grow. And it continues even today. You know, we're right about where we were when I preached that message in 2013. Uh, No messages like that in the next few weeks, okay? Just so you know. There's another thing about this, though. The offerings were a little slower to respond. And I found myself sliding back into that old habit again, stressing about the finances. As we started 2017, we were living within our means. We, wouldn't, we were trying not to spend anything unless we had it. But we, were still, we still weren't making our monthly budgeted need. And then to top it all off, that year started with a bad weather Sunday. Our weekly need was 29000 And the first Sunday of the year, 9000 We came out of the gate $20,000 behind. Well, some smaller offerings would follow and a few unseen expenditures. And by April, we were looking at a $43,000 shortfall. And we had no logical explanation of how to, how to fund that. The elders were continuing to pray every morning at 6 a.m., asking God to provide. We'd been doing that since March the year before. We were asking God to provide for our needs and help us to be good stewards of everything that he had given to us. I happened to go out of town to visit my family in Iowa the last weekend of April when my administrative assistant called me early on Monday morning. She asked me if I was sitting down, which usually isn't a good thing. But then she told me that the offering from the day before was just under $74,000. I told you our weekly need was twenty-nine. I was totally blown away. I remember thinking how incredibly faithful God is. What is impossible with man is possible with him. It's possible with God. It was in God's hands the entire time. Gary was exactly right. I've realized through this part of the journey that God is always faithful. Never forget that, church. He is always faithful. This church has been his all along. Not yours, not mine, not even the elders. His. So now, here's where it should all come together for you if worry has been dogging you and had you held hostage. Break the stranglehold. What do you have to lose? Just do what God's word says. Now, you're going to have to spend some time in his word to know what it says, but do what it says. And then give God what you can't do. And then no matter what happens, trust him. Trust him. That's the picture I want for you. That's the picture you need in order to see how to break the stranglehold of worry. If God does what I think he should do, I trust him. If he does something completely opposite, I trust him. If I pray and in faith God does a miracle and he does that, I will trust him. And if my worst nightmare comes true after I've prayed and prayed, I'm still going to trust because I know he's sovereign. I know he's still in control. I believe that God is good and he loves you 
and you weren't designed for worry. I believe what the prophet Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Anybody need some hope today? Even if things don't look like the way I think they should look like, I'll trust him. And when I walk with him for enough days and, just, and see just how faithful he is, it's then that I realize I don't have to worry ever again. I'm not saying I won't be tempted to, but I don't have to. Because he told me not to. And because Jesus reminded me that his, his heavenly father is my heavenly father. And he cares for me. And he loves me. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says it this way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. You see, the truth is, this isn't about you and it's not about me. It's always been about him. I don't know what you're worried about today and I'm not minimizing it, trust me. But I know that worry has held me hostage long enough enough time over the course of my lifetime. And I also acknowledge that it's a sin. And I refuse to live with that any longer. It's the sin of not trusting the promises and the power of God. And I don't want to insult God that way another day of my life. I believe he is who he says he is. He's capable, he's willing, and he's able to handle whatever it is that's crushing me stressing me, or making me afraid. And I can promise you, he'll do the same for you. Let's pray together. Oh God, we thank you for your love for us. I am so grateful, God, that you are patient with us when we are not patient with you. Some call that word long-suffering. It's probably a good word to describe that patience that you have for us. You know, God, in this room, I know there are some people who are just locked up by worry. Every day it controls their life, especially at nighttime when they try to sleep and they wake up and they can't get it out of their head. Our minds tend to race ahead and we're stressing about what if this happens or what if that happens. This worried life is a miserable way to live. It's not the way you designed it. It's not that abundant life. Jesus said he came that we might have. God, will you break the chains of worry for every person in this room? Will you help us retrain our way of thinking so that we have faith thoughts instead of fear thoughts, instead of worry? Breaking the chains of worry, God, it all starts by trusting you. And that begins with a relationship with Jesus. Trusting you to forgive us of our sins. Lord, help us all to have that assurance, that confidence that Jesus is our Lord. He's our Savior. That starts by surrendering to you, Lord. It starts by giving our life to you. We'll probably never have freedom from worry until we first take that step. I pray, God, that every person here before they leave here would have that confidence in knowing that Jesus is their Lord. I pray this in the precious name of Jesus.